Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Andy. Uh, If you haven't met me, it's a real pleasure to be here with you and to share with you and officially welcome you back to Red in 2024. I hope your Christmas and New Year's period was either eventful as you'd like it to be or uneventful as you'd like it to be. And based on the 2023 that you had, perhaps 2024 is the year of 2020 more or 2020 no more. Uh, I hope that there's an excitement around a new year, and it generally is. It kind of feels like a blank canvas. Naturally, the conversations tend towards New Year's resolutions, what am I going to do this year, how am I going to challenge myself this year, how am I not going to challenge myself this year. Perhaps we look to inspirations for our uh, New Year's resolutions or what we'd like to do, perhaps to family or a friend or a colleague that has inspired you. Perhaps it could be someone on social media, an influencer. Maybe sometimes, like I'm going to be doing this year, I'm going to be looking at childhood heroes. We all have our childhood heroes, whether fictional or non-fictional. One of my childhood heroes is a guy called Peter Cullen. You may not know him. It's nice to know, Peter. He was one of my childhood heroes, uh, has been for a long time. And this might be the first time you've seen his face, but I reckon it is not the first time. Or if you've heard him, you've heard him many times. In fact... What's in the box? What's in the box? Peter Cullen is known for one thing, above all. Yes, you might be wondering why a grown man is playing with toys. There might be some some wives and girlfriends here who ask themselves that constantly. (laughs) But yes, Peter Cullen is not known for his looks, as luscious as that mo is. He's known for his voice. And I don't know if you can recognize the young little toy in front of me. This is a very replica of one that I received for Christmas a long time ago. But Peter Cullen is known as the voice of Optimus Prime. Yes, my childhood hero. And look, it's pretty obvious why a young boy would like Optimus Prime. He is a giant robot from outer space that transforms into a big truck and fights other big robots from outer space that transform into planes and sports cars and you name it. It's like the appeal can just stop there really. Like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But what stood out to me as I watched 80s cartoons, which is just full of uh, just energy, uh, dripping with, with a certain... Um, like a boy macho, and you've got Ninja Turtles, you've got Action Man, you've got a lot of stuff to look at when you were a little boy growing up in the 90s. But what stood out for me about Optimus Prime was he was a strong, stern leader of a robot, but there was something else about him that I was drawn to. In fact, there was almost a bit of a gentleness to him. And what always stuck with me about him is that he led with a sense of compassion. He cared about people. He even cared about the people he was fighting against. And his, his care and his compassion that he had often led him to be uh, taken advantage of, which could be a very um, common experience to some of us as well. So yeah, he stood out and he's left an indelible mark on me for his compassion. It's one of those words that you know, invoke a lot of different thoughts for people. 
We think of incredible people doing incredible things that we could only dream of doing, traveling halfway across the world and finding themselves in peril or danger and, and reaching out a hand in compassion, um, starting up massive nonprofits. You know, we often think it's left to some of those superheroes. You know, and when we think about compassion, often maybe, you know, on a scale of Mother Teresa to Jesus, where do you stand in compassion? <laughs> and it's hard to kind of resign ourselves to a life of little compassion or limited compassion. As we walk around and as we, as we live this life, we're bombarded in the news, in advertisement, with images of things happening overseas, of the suffering of other people, uh, people in a lot of hurt. And images in social media, they're juxtaposed to invoke different emotions, sometimes to feed off a sense of anger or self-righteousness, almost um, benefiting and, and uh, monetizing our outrage for clicks. And we tend to feel numb from that hopelessness, and that, that powerlessness breeds a bit of anger or, um, or discontent over our limited ability to do something to be compassionate. Even in our individual lives, there's this modern pursuit to put the self first, to look after ourselves, which is a really important thing. But sometimes it causes our own voice to be the loudest voice within us. We build up these walls to protect ourselves from hurt, from awkward conversations, from hard times. I'm going through enough. I don't need to hear about your hard time. Thank you very much. Sometimes the compassion is actually deemed too great of a cost. The, vulnerable, the vulnerability required to open up to someone else is too much for our sense of self. It threatens it. And sometimes we even look at compassion, as they did for poor old Optimus, as a weakness to be exploited. But I want to challenge us today that compassion is not just left to the superstars, uh, not just left to giant robots, it's actually a posture that we can take as a church, as a people, as an individual person. It's actually a call to respond to. It's an example left for us to follow. And sorry, Optimus, it's not you. In fact, in Luke, Jesus teaches us, or he's teaching his crowd, to be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. In fact, he goes far to say you must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. So I can transform this without looking how many times I've done this. <laughs> so as Deejus teaches that, he reveals that God is compassionate. And he desires us to be. In fact, he's actually asking us to be compassionate. But what does this word actually mean? In Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses and he, and he declares who he is. And he uses the word, I am compassionate. And in Hebrew, the word is rachamin, rachamin, which actually derives from the word rechem, which is the womb. That boundaryless love between a mother and a child formed in the deepest part of their being. And when Jesus, we read about as a term that is constantly used before he performs many healings, many miracles, Jesus was moved by compassion, moved with compassion. You've probably read it a fair few times across the Gospels. And in the Greek, the word is splankna. Splankna, it's a hard word to say, but it means like guts, bowels, entrails. When you feel something so deep within us, 
in the very bowels of our being. These are both hidden places, deep places. You know, and when we suffer, when we go through pain, we often feel it deep within us. It's a human experience that we can all relate to. So in fact, it's no surprise that in the Latin, compassion means to suffer with, simply. And suffering is, is not a super act. Like I said, it's a deep thing, and it's something that we all experience. And as we know, Jesus, who lived a life on this earth as fully human and fully God, had this experience too. He understands it. Uh, being both God and man, we look to Jesus as he is a revelation of God's compassion in space and time. Jesus came to us to be compassion and to show compassion. To be compassion and to show it. And one of the ways he shows it, and this is another buzzword that conjures up a lot of different things, is Jesus being human, having those experiences, knowing what it's like to feel the depths of our being, to suffer and to hurt, excuse me, to hurt and have pain, is a sense of solidarity. And we're not talking about the solidarity that we might use for a shade for our profile picture or a little, little click to, to show our support for something. It's as we, as we sung Christmas carols just passed and we talk about Jesus coming into the world, the word Emmanuel often springs out, that God is with us. He's literally the God that is with us. He's not distant. He came into this world as naked and vulnerable as every one of us did. And in fact, he died naked and vulnerable. He chose to come. He didn't have to come, but he chose to. And he chose to understand what it's like to live a life that's filled with pain, that's filled with suffering. He understands and he knows. Not only did he suffer with us and for us, he felt the pain of those he healed. He was moved from the depths of his being for people coming to him with all sorts of issues and problems. And it went beyond just the act. You know, as, as powerful and amazing as to read miraculous healings, um, miraculous providence to feed a crowd. He suffered with them. And when he wipes your tears, he cries with you. Shortest scripture, sorry, the shortest verse in scripture is two words. Jesus wept. Even before he raised his dear friend to the, from the grave, he wept. He cried. He felt the pain and the grief. He didn't, you know, they could have just done what he did. He could have just rose someone from the dead. And if it was just about power, then that would have been. But it's just as powerful that he cried and felt as he did the thing. So he shows us that as he came down and he showed what it is to be compassionate, we learn that compassion isn't just this act. It's not actually a reaching out and above and pulling up, which might denote maybe a sense of pity, not compassion. But no, Jesus decided he wanted to step in to it, into another person's suffering and dwell with them there, be with them there, like making his home with them. 
And often when we decide we'd like to do that and, and, and take that step, and it's, it's a hard step and, and, and takes a bit of vulnerability, but we find Jesus there too as we step in and sit with someone. This is the suffering servant spoken of in Isaiah uh, who was prophesying Jesus' coming. And there's another word, servant, that brings to mind this beautiful compassion that's divine. He was a lofty benefactor chucking out little chop-outs from above. He took the position of a servant. He, he died a servant or a slave's death. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he explains this really eloquently. Who being in very nature God, who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We just sung it. He did not despise it. He humbled himself. It shows that God's compassion through his life that it's a compassion of, of solidarity, of servitude, of not thinking oneself above someone else, of seeing the other person for who they are, um, seeing their pain and their hurt, not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced, as you know you hurt as well. And we look at the scripture that Jesus' humbling was through obedience to the ultimate point to death. And arguably the cross would be his biggest act of compassion. And he shows us that compassion begins with obedience. It's not some super act, as I keep saying. We see that Jesus follows the own teaching that he dishes out in Luke to be compassionate. He didn't exclude himself from that. He wanted to set the example. And it doesn't look like throwing yourself into suffering. We're not here to self-flagellate ourselves and think, oh, I need to, need to make sure that I'm you know, feeling hurt and feeling pain. Um, that's, that's the end of it. It's, it's not about that. Um, it's, it's a sense of obedience and knowing the loving God who shows compassion on you. As Jesus said before his death in Gethsemane, if I can get this cup away from me, please be, but your will be done, Lord. He understood the will of his father. It's this active listening and an active waiting on God. It's where it begins. Being about, as Jesus said as an adolescent, his father's business. He often said he's of the will of his father who sent him. And this active listening will, a great place to begin is prayer. It's a great place to listen to God and spending time with him and understanding his will. It's actively letting his word wash over you. When you see these beautiful words of care and compassion that Jesus has for people, understand that they're for you too. Understand that he wants you to know that he knows how it feels. That his heart breaks over you. Let your heart break for him. 
your heart might break for others in the process. You understand that you're not just someone who dishes out compassion. You're actually a recipient of it. You need his compassion. You need his love. You need what he brings. And give yourself the time to receive that. This active listening and waiting, it involves a sense of patience. It's not going to happen like that, like most things. Allow yourself his love to just wash over you. And being vulnerable with him, opening your heart to him, understanding that he came and he suffered for you so you can be with him, so you can be vulnerable. You can show him the hurt that he longs to feel with you. It creates this new sense of self, a new sense of looking at not only yourself but others. It turns down that the self-static that we often hear buzzing in our ears, that the vulnerability to God equals vulnerability to others, which is, and, and I'm the first to admit, a really hard thing to do. In this world that we live in, it's really hard to open up to people. It's hard to have people open up to us. The two natural responses I find when I find myself in situations is, is the very human thing to fight or flight, to resist someone else's pain or suffering, or to just simply run from it. There's this, um, Hannah and I live about 50 metres away from a motel, like a, like a proper old motor inn, and um, it's often used for crisis accommodation. And we see a gentleman out there quite often on the nature strip, um, either having a cigarette or just, just standing there. Um, sometimes he'll be shouting, sometimes he'll be silent. And you know, the first time you see it, it's a bit confronting. And naturally, my first thought was to either resist that or get ready for a confrontation or just to make a wide berth and avoid it. And as I, as I sit and think about it and as I meditate on that um, and realise that there's another way of being patient with people, of understanding what someone's going through. You may not know what people are going through, but being willing to understand and feel for someone changes your perspective. Now when I see, when I walk past or I'm driving past, I feel for him. My heart breaks for whatever he's going through. And I, and I pray for him. God bless that man. I'm not saying this to big note myself. It's more about the change that God's done in me than the change that I've done in myself. And maybe, maybe soon I'll have the courage just to say, hello, how are you going? Seeing him as another person, not, not, a, uh, not an uncomfortable situation to be avoided. Because we all have those things. It, it's hard to ask how people really are. We're geared to, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, thanks for asking. We don't really answer the question truthfully sometimes. But as we let God's compassion wash over us, realise that it's not done out of fear, out of a willingness, some weird sort of sense to throw yourself into suffering. It's motivated by love. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because he loves us. It's about being compassionate, not just compassionate acts. It's not manufactured by hyping up your emotions. Uh, it's not just the simple action of the thing. It is a way of living. And we understand that this happens through time with Jesus, through patience with yourself and patience with others, learning to spend time with him, we realise that compassion looks a bit more like, less like an act and more like discipleship. 
more of a way of life with Jesus and with each other. We understand that, uh, sorry, not compassion, that discipleship doesn't actually happen on your own. This is something that's done with others. It's something that's done as a community, as a church. So compassion can be seen as a communal way of living. It's not just our own acts. And we begin to see ourselves less as a group of individuals. There's this oneness about us that brings us together. It's like Jesus is... Now, this, is, this must be a revelation from the love because I hate maths and maths hates me more. But, but think of a fraction of, of us being the church and Jesus being our lowest common denominator, like a foundation. He is what brings us together. As we, as we resist those ways of fighting and, and, and flighting, of uncomfortableness, of suffering, and understanding why it's so important to let our hearts break with Jesus, as we do that separately, we can do that together, and it brings us together, and we begin to look more like Jesus as a community, but in our own unique ways. Some people are fantastic at bringing healing words through their conversation, through their care. Sometimes you're really good at just sitting with people for perhaps even an hour, saying nothing but just being with someone. Not everyone can do that. Perhaps you've got a really practical way you show your compassion and love through a meal, through a hey, how you going? It takes all of us in our own unique ways that God gifts us and God shapes us to bring this compassion. But we do it as one. Henri Nguyen paints this picture incredibly well of a church community living in compassion. And here the deepest meaning of compassionate life reveals itself. By our life together, we become participants in the divine compassion. Through this participation, we can take on the yoke and burden of Christ, which is all human pain in every time and place. Let that sink in. That is the yoke and burden of Christ. All human pain in every time and place, while realising that his yoke is easy and his burden light. As long as we depend on our own limited resources, the world will frighten us and we will try to avoid the painful spots. But once we have become participants in God's compassion, we can enter deeply into the most hidden corners of the world and perform the same works Christ did. That's powerful. Imagine a church that just radiates with that divine energy of compassion, of, of love, of willing to suffer with others. So this is my challenge to myself, and everyone is more than welcome in this. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's tiring to hear about what the church is and what God's body is against, the things that we don't like. It's a bit prickly to hear, but, and I understand there's some really, really valid reasons, but imagine, imagine through our compassion that we could flip that script a bit. Through the way that we care, through the way that we're willing to actually hear the uncomfortableness, uh, the way that we're willing to lose our sense of self to be there for the other, to bring this beautiful, compassionate presence of Jesus into people's lives. 
we might, just like my childhood hero, might stand out a bit. Why does this person care so much? Why do they care about me without even expecting anything in return? They keep calling me, asking me how I am, how I really am. This person always brings me a cupcake when they see me. And that's a sin. I thought that's compassionate. This person is okay to sit in silence with me. This person's okay to see me cry. Doesn't freak them out. It's not, it's not these big acts. It's being compassionate. You know, we, we lose hope at, at the increasing hostility in our world and we think we'll never be able to change it. And you're right, you can't change the world. But you can change someone's world. It stands out when you show that divine compassion. It's not motivated out of any self-gain. It's motivated by love. It's motivated by willingness to be uncomfortable. It says a lot. Could we as Christ's bride be so beautiful and so radiant in this that people can't be helped, drawn to him, to the groom, to Jesus, the one who was compassionate first, the one who led the way, the one who came to be and show compassion? We're about to enter a time of communion. And this is a beautiful way we sense that oneness that I was talking about, this participation in God's compassion as we reflect the ultimate act of compassion, that Jesus came and he died for us, that we could live this life with him. We could live this life with others. We don't choose that fight or flight. We don't choose to avoid what Henri Nguyen calls the painful spots. We enter in. We make a home in it. Because Jesus is there with us too. Ah, may we meditate on that as we come together and break the bread. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and my prayer for you is that as you sit there with it, you're willing to go on that journey with him, that patient journey to develop more compassion in your life um, and having the courage to stand out into a world that really needs it.